time of Reagan and before the rise of Seagal, Snipes, and Van Damme, there was an age undreamed of. Unto this land came Arnold the Austrian. He was a barbarian, a demigod, a killer robot from the future, and he was destined to wear the crown of Hollywood upon a troubled brow. It is only his chroniclers, Mike Gillis and Casey Doran, who can tell you of his legend. This is his saga. Podcast de la Vista, baby. God damn, Casey, it's good to be back in the 1980s. Oh, yes. You know, if I were ever to grow my own strain of marijuana, it would definitely be called Captain Danko. Captain <laughs> Danko. Oh, so, of course, as, as you've uh, implied, we are talking about the film Red Heat, the Arnold Schwarzenegger Cold War buddy cop film from the year 1988, as directed by Walter Hill. Yeah, and you know him from The Warriors and uh, Streets of Rage. 48 Hours, yeah. 48 Hours, yeah. Yeah, and uh, he also co-wrote the script with Harry Kleiner and uh, Troy Kennedy Martin. So don't, don't forget the powerhouse production team of Mario Kassar and Andrew Vajna, yeah. who did basically almost all of the 80s action movies that we love on this show. So, yeah, it's amazing. So, yeah, so uh, let's get right into this. And, of course, we are being joined this month by our good friend, past guest, and friend of the show, Patrick Johnson. Patrick. hey oh, It's good to have you here. Yeah, it's great to be here. Well, we chose you, of course, Patrick, because we know that you did live in Russia and speak fluent Russian, and you were also part of uh, the Russian police force yeah, as well. So we, you got some spe- special insight here. Yeah. Uh, yes. Well, if you can do it passively, if you can click your heels and speak in a Russian accent. I think what I need to do is strip away all humanity, talk in just a stern monotone, and just get ripped and stand (laughs) straight up in a straight line. Yes. And yes. (laughs) And thrill my R's a little bit, and I'll be there. Yeah. So, uh, Patrick, uh, one of the things that we ask all of our guests when they join us for the first time on this show is if you could recap us just a little bit with your history uh, with the movies of Arnold Schwarzenegger, and uh, are you a fan of this guy? Yeah, I'm actually I'm a I'm a big Arnold fan. I've taken a deep deep dive going from too early an age. I think the first movie I probably saw was Terminator, the first Terminator when I was I don't know early early memories, and I saw Kindergarten Cop like it was a kids movie, uh, and I I've always had fun with him. I like his I like his personality. I was initially opposed to him as governor, but now that we're in the reality TV age of politics, uh, you know, I have a certain appreciation even for, for that set. <laughs> he doesn't seem H- so his bad. His life arc is just incredible. Like, you have to admire somebody who comes to this country as an immigrant, makes it, you know, makes himself huge, both literally and figuratively. <laughs> um, in bodybuilding, you know, le- sw- takes that into acting, jumps that into politics, and now he's he's got that... He might have, he's kind of an asshole when he was younger, but now he's got that thing where he's getting a little older and he's sort of the lovable, uh, you know, it's like what happened with George Foreman, you know, yeah, yeah. In, in, in his old age, he's sort of cuddly, uh, <laughs> but, um, and it was, his memeing is really on point. I don't know if you've, you've seen what Arnold is, is up to recently. This was one I hadn't seen. I've never, I've never taken the dive into, into Red Heat before. So, so so thank you for that, yeah. both, both of you. Oh, absolutely. And I guess we are getting back into the 1980s, which is like peak Schwarzenegger. This is when he was at the height of his powers. And uh, so if we're going to talk about Red Heat, um, 
this is a movie I don't think a lot of fans of him have even seen. So, Patrick, if you had to sum up what Red Heat was about, like a in a paragraph or two, what is the plot? God, I'm going to struggle here. Uh, as I was saying, I watched I watched a rip of this online that had, was they did not subtitle the Russian parts, which I, I thought I thought that was a directorial choice. I thought it's really interesting that these long sequences are all, clearly his exposition and not explain it at all. So there is. Uh, a, a Russian gangster that uh, in Russia that kills Arnold Schwarzenegger's partner, and then Arnold Schwarzenegger he flees to the U.S., uh, gets caught, is going to be extradited, and so Arnold Schwarzenegger is the Russian police officer sent to bring back this super criminal. Uh, and then while they're trying to bring him back to Russia, he kills James Belushi's partner. <laughs> and it's just, it's, that's it's just his thing, and uh, so the two of them team up to to hunt him down. Uh, and after that gets a little murky, I get kind of lose the thread. <laughs> a little, it does get a little murky, actually. Yes, I think uh, the fir- the really the first thing I think I remember two things about this movie from the rental store era. One is definitely cocainum. Oh, uh, which is which is fantastic, by the way. Uh, if you if no one has seen the movie at the beginning, he's sort of chasing down um victor rosas rosta rosta victor rosta's Rosta, and they go into this like impossibly crowded restaurant like i I love the set designers must have loved doing this because there is so much shit everywhere in this so he follows them to tables in the back there's a guy who sort of tries to punch arnold and i think he throws him to the ground picks up his leg and twists it and it looks like he breaks his leg like viciously and there's even gasps like <gasps> that woman screaming when he twists the leg yeah. and it makes this crack noise. <laughs> so he picks up this leg and it's a false leg and he tilts it upside down and then cocaine falls out and he says cocainum. So this is and that's a, how you know without subtitles you knew what that guy was all about. Yeah, it's true. I, cocaine I, smuggler. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a prosthetic leg that is being um, hollow leg man it's a hollow leg yeah. but it's like loose cocaine it's, it's not even in a package <laughs> it's not even in like a bag that falls out it's basically it's, powdered sugar it's <laughs> it's basically that he he had a funnel and then he just poured cocaine down the funnel into the leg and then just plugged it up with like a large comical cork yeah so, in the 80s that had to be like $200 worth of cocaine right like <laughs> The that, was barely of, a, that was barely a tick, tick mark on their production budget. The yeah. amount of cocaine that you're going to lose just storing it that way, and you can't get every grain of that out of there. Whoever you're going to sell it to and do, I really want to buy cocaine that's been inside that dude's leg. Sweaty inside their sweaty stump. I mean, I'm <laughs> sure you're a lot less picky when you live in the Eastern <laughs> Bloc, but I mean, that's kind of gross. Uh, I love the, how that, that scene sort of p- portrayed the, the monolithic sort of adversaries is obviously being just vicious criminals of the sort that would be in America, you know? Um, and part of me wonders, like they must have not got permission from Moscow to do this movie because I know those scenes where you're actually seeing him standing in red square in a uniform is basically guerrilla style shot. Uh, so they, they, they did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they, it was actually the first American film to get permission to shoot in the red square. Uh, so those are, those opening shots, well, not opening shots. It, that's in the bathhouse with all the right. all the beefcake and. Oh God, we need to talk which, about oh, yeah, the, yeah. the first scene is actually so much more interesting than as, as a great way to open it. First and foremost, it has something for everyone. Yeah. You have you have almost naked dudes, sweaty, like lots of them, so shiny. Out. You've got lo- like lots of naked women in a bath. 
And then you have Arnold sort of walking around in not but like a, a washcloth. Well, it's it's like a loincloth that on the back there's like this. It's a this, thong. It's just a like thong. down down the crack. Yeah. Down the crack and up the other side. So it's being held on, I guess, by tension? I don't really know. <laughs> it's the most naked you could be without being totally naked, I so, think. So, I mean, this is, let's just say bluntly, this is like a Bacchanalian, like, <laughs> yes. this is a bathhouse. And it's apparently part of a steel foundry. It's never really clear because that's what outs him as being undercover um because i mean the uniform he got that part right i mean everyone here is super shiny super ripped arnold just happens to be the most ripped one there there's yeah. women twirling around bathing themselves under this open fountain which it- that would be so distracting i if you were a roided out testosterone fueled guy having naked naked women just sort of like squirming around four feet from you i don't think you could i don't think you could do your your workout routine well i you'd think be the, too, you'd be too distracted i, I think, think the steroids probably help on that front but <laughs> yes. i but the fact that it looks like a set piece from Caligula. Oh, of course. Yes, and, it does. And there's one thing that was never really answered in the plot, but I just found endlessly fascinating. So Arnold walks in. This is the beginning of both this and the bar scene later, where clearly um, this is one of the things I think Walter Hill did really well. It's like he knew his star. I'm going to gear this movie as much toward Arnold's strength as possible. Oh, yeah. So he gets two Terminator entrances at the beginning of this movie yep. where he walks into a location looking for a guy. And he does that steely glare where his eyes scan over the place. And then he finds the guy that he's looking for. And people are like, whoa, who's this guy? <laughs> As he walks in through. And um, the thing that really jumped out at me while he was doing this is that hanging from his loincloth is this giant key. And not the sort of key that you would like start your car with. But it's a kind of key that you would find in a video game. <laughs> It, it it's like this. Ju- Is that the bathroom key? It's it look. I don't know if that's how he got in, or it's to his, he has like this locker with his clothes in it that has this giant like uh, maybe that's right keyhole in it, like from Link to the Past or something. <laughs> because it looks like that's a video game it's dangerous item. Dangerous to go alone. Take this loincloth. It's like Na-na-na-na. it's like Arnold is part of an open world game, and this is the key that he needed to have to get into the bathhouse. So maybe you guys can help me. There's a number of sequences that I lost the logic, or like why are these things happening? The first one is in that opening sequence. He walks up to his target. Mm-hmm. The guy hands him a burning rock. Yeah. Okay. They, they, they heat up a hot rock, and they he puts it with like pliers into Arnold's hand. It, it's it's burning. You hear the sizzle of his flesh, and then Arnold hits him with the hand with the mm-hmm. rock in it. Okay. Why did why did it's they... just pretending to be a steel worker? I don't know why the steel workers are in the bathhouse, but, but he says they run a, their own. <laughs> they run their own bathhouse. It's, oh, is that what the, it is? I think it's in the foundry. So Arnold comes up oh, looking nice. for Victor Rosta, and they go, "You're not a steel worker. You don't belong here. These are not the hands of a steel worker." This is where subtitles would have been yeah. helpful. Yeah, <laughs> and they drop that in there. They go, a, "A real steel worker would be used to the heat." And then Arnold, like, this is his Terminator moment where he's like impervious to pain, closes his fist around that hot rock and punches this dude in the face, and he immediately goes through like this lattice window out to the snow outside. Yeah, I just love it because what it ends up being is a fight between him and Sven Oli Thorson. Yes, in the snow, naked. <laughs> yeah, naked in the snow. It's great. It's yeah. an amazing set piece. That whole thing, the you know, it's got everything. It's got good, evil. It's got hot, and it's got cold. It's got uncircumcised penises. It's got circumcised penises. <laughs> I don't know. And uh, yeah, that's a, a thing that comes up later when he's talking to his partner because the thing well, yeah, that- his partner is there too. And we don't know why he's not doing anything. He's, well, you see him in the beginning because his job is to be a dead meat sidekick. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's his job is to to be sort of the older kind of uh, mentor to Arnold to go hey. 
All the guys used to call you Iron Jaw, but now that you had that fight in the snow, they call you Roundhead. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Arnold uh, just he's the thing I kind of love is that he there. This is a very strangely nonverbal role for Arnold. Yeah, but I think that's part of. Uh, Walter Hill really knowing his actor's strengths is that we said this when we watched Conan the Barbarian. Rather, I said this watching Conan the Barbarian. I don't want to put words in your mouth. But um, Arnold is actually really good when he doesn't talk. I mean, he's he's his accent is part of the thing you come to the theater for. You buy a ticket to hear him say things. But there's moments in this movie uh, from the opening scenes to all of the times he has to put up with Jim Belushi, <laughs> where he frequently is... And, dis- and the audience has to put up with Jim Belushi. It's a lot easier to deal with Jim Belushi when you have Arnold doing this, yeah. which is that Arnold visibly reacts but decides to not say something, and it's these brief flashes of uh, contempt, uh, condescension, and just like, who the fuck is this guy? And ultimately, it's because he's kind of this stoic all discipline kind of guy. I mean, he's almost Terminator esque when he's in his element, but whenever somebody is kind of getting under his skin, you see these little flashes of annoyance and, or a recognition. And I always thought Arnold is a really good at that. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I really believe that in that moment, he's thinking about snapping Jim Belushi's <laughs> neck. <laughs> and, and uh, it's, it's good. It's, there's, he's always kind of doing stuff. Something on camera, and then you watch a lot of actors that get put into a role because of their looks. You know, there's a lot of big bodybuilder guys that get hired as heavies in movies. And mm-hmm. I think this is where Arnold kind of stands apart from them. You, like, watch Denise Richards in that Bond movie she's in, and you're like, okay, you're a beautiful woman, but you really shouldn't be given dialogue. <laughs> uh, because you're just, you're sinking the whole movie. And it's not like this was a great movie, but one actor can be kind of a parking break yeah. on the rest of it. Yeah. And... Arnold has never been something that's ever slowed down a movie. Even when the dialogue doesn't always fit in his mouth, he kind of makes it work. Yeah, yeah. And he, speaking of that, he's actually doing accent work in this movie. Yeah, so that is funny. That's some, that is His accent has something to talk about. Um, he has an Austrian accent, and to our ears... It's just an Arnold accent because we've, we've been uh, we've used it there. I found it funny that the conceit that Walter Hill used is to to make him a, a Russian instead of making him an East German or something because they easily could have done this. Mm-hmm. It could have been East German and he would have fitted in a little more. Was that we don't know Russian accents all that well and Ed O. Ross, who's the guy who plays Victor Rosa, isn't Russian, <laughs> so he's actually his part Czech and I think part English or something. Um, but like we don't know really what a Russian accent sounds like and it doesn't really matter. So you can get away with having him say, you know, be able to speak a little Russian and then maybe to roll his vowels a little strangely than he normally does. But if he sounds just like Arnold, he sounds foreign enough. Yeah. He's got the little extra rolling R's that they add on top of it. Uh, There's a lot of stuff that I felt like going back to this doesn't hold up because it's from the era of, this is all happening behind the iron curtain, right? (laughs) These shots of the red square were huge at the time because people just didn't get to see what was going on in that part of the world. And, uh, yeah, when I read that, that his his accent, that was sort of, he wanted to work with Arnold. He's like, well, how do we deal with his, his a foreign accent? How do we deal with this? Well, we'll just make him Russian. <laughs> and that, that just fits because people didn't have uh, the kind of exposure to to the culture that we do now. Even today, Ed Ross, I was, I'm fooled. I didn't, I didn't yeah. realize that he wasn't Russian. Um, Even though he's played Russians like a half a dozen times, yeah. But yeah. Uh, but you're right. The Arnold voice is just it's. You can tell that he's trying to do something. It's it's not his normal 
he has an affect. Yeah. Um, but it, it still just sounds like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. And I got to say, I was impressed with him speaking Russian. I don't speak a word of Russian. I think I know Niet. <laughs> that and maybe Dasvidaniya. That's about yeah, as all. Show. Yeah, I mean, if Colossus from the of the X Men does not say it, I don't know it. <laughs> but I, I look at this and I don't have any problem believing that he's speaking a real language and coming across as plausible when I'm, he's speaking Russian in this movie. Sure, I mean, obviously that's coming from us as English speakers who don't know it, and he probably butchers Russian un- unbearably. But, oh, probably. But still, but- it works within the context of the film. Like I said, I don't even I don't even know if they have any many native Russian speakers, except for perhaps the beginning, like his partner and whatnot. But I, how would we know? I don't know. How would you know, we it, even know? It just has to be just over the line of plausibility where it doesn't sound like, you know, doing it like ABBA style where people are phonetically faking this. I mean, why not get Russian actors for that scene? Yeah. I mean, if they're not going to ever speak English, except for that one guy who hears that they're going to be sending uh, our, our agent to Chicago and he's like, ooh, Chicago. Gangster. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it, those little bits are kind of neat humanizing moments that stop them from just being you know exposition things well that- and also i felt that this was you know we should if we haven't reminded the audience again this takes place in the 80s um and it was interesting to see a movie wherein the russians are not just demonized whole cloth like part of the understanding is like oh well they understand what chicago is and what gangsters are or whatever but no i mean um danko captain danko is like the uh he is like the dirty harry of the po- the police force of uh you know in in the soviet in moscow essentially um and he they who have is, problems who is dirty harry who is dirty harry yes <laughs> yeah. they 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 don't want to air their dirty laundry there are obviously problems they don't want to end up talking about they've got a lot of pride um and the russians are the soviets excuse me are portrayed pretty well i mean the the danko's motivation is that he does not want his country to be corrupted by drugs which you know we can throw aside stuff about the drug war because obviously lots of 80s movies had as a pretext smugglers are the bad guys. Um, but like I'm, I'm surprised at how even handed they were, even if this didn't come as like a well, Moscow has to check the script. You know, the KGB has to check the script to make sure they're not doing that. I felt like this is one of those very few instances where the Soviet Union is portrayed as not just monolithic evil. Well, I mean, this, they, we have a Russian superhero in, in this movie. The, the Your main protagonist, uh, you know, it's weird because I think of America as Arnold Schwarzenegger as sort of an American hero. Like, sure. he's Austrian, but he's, he's, uh, he's so embedded in American filmmaking at this point. To make your major character uh, Russian a hero... Was un, hadn't been done in, in American cinema, a movie that's clearly geared for the West. It's a thoroughly American film. And there was some question as to whether American audiences were ready because the Cold War is, you know, the Berlin Wall came down a year after this film was made. Right. Um, it's huge. And it, it's it's hard to appreciate what that must have been like for, for audiences at the time. Also, and, he's pretty, I mean, he's pretty morally virtuous, too. He's yeah. not just... I mean, he Victor Rosa, who is a corrupt person, tries to corrupt him essentially to get him to stop following, to stop chasing him, and he's everything that the that sort of the Paragon cop in a cop movie is, and he's also Russian, you know? and he's unapologetically Russian. Yeah, it's not a movie where he's so won over by um, American culture and hot dogs and baseball that at the end of the movie, it's a scene of him and Jim Belushi at like his, you know 
his uh, citizen, you know, thing where he reads the oath and it's like the end of Short Circuit 2. <laughs> he doesn't defect and become an American at the end. He still very much wants to be a Russian, that he's not wowed by American culture, that one of the first things he does is he intentionally stays in the same flop house that Victor stayed in, Yeah, sees the television, yeah. plops a coin in there, <laughs> and he sees this, like, this creepy 70s pornography on a coin-operated television, and he just goes capitalism (laughs) that's the that is i think the single best joke in the entire movie i think there's just Uh, these little moments where if if anything the russians come across better than the americans in this movie uh chicago looks like a shithole yeah everyone has guns in chicago everyone has guns um everything is dirty everyone is rude um it's grimy and that's the thing i kind of like with this movie is that there's a lot of times that this script could have been turned into a very much cheaper looking movie, mm. but there's a real sense of place in this movie that I think is actually really good that, you know, Chicago feels like a location. It doesn't feel like generic city. You couldn't have filmed this in Toronto and I mean, make it felt like this. I mean, part of it, I will say is that the character of Art Ritzik, which is James Belushi's character says, you know, says things like, Oh, the Chicago, that's just what we do here. And they mention, they say the word Chicago probably like 50 times in this movie. Cause he has to hammer it home. Like it's not just America. We're in Chicago. And they have lots of people with accents. We should talk about Jim Belushi because I had this, the thought, do we have to three? Yes, we do. <laughs> three quarters of the way through. I had this thought looking at his face and looking at his performance. Like, I think the jury has decided that Jim Belushi is a far inferior version of his brother. He's what we he's what we have left over from John Belushi dying. In this movie, he's a fucking sleaze. When you meet him, he's in a stakeout in the back of a car, speaking luridly about a, like a prostitute's breast, saying, "We're on fun bag patrol." Like, and he's such a he is such a sleaze bag asshole. And through the entire movie, I don't want to see him. But I had this thought: what if they would have cast another Chicago native, another Illinois native, Bill Murray? Bill, <laughs> think about it. I don't know if it would have worked. Bill Murray. Oh, I, I, I don't know. See, that... have this sort of, he has the same sort of complexion. He yeah. could do the same sarcasm. He would, he would. of course, it would be goofier, but it need. It could be even... It, he's... it needed to... Because the, the, the thing that got to me about the way... I think I blamed the director for this. They talked about... Uh, he actually dialed back Arnold's performance. And to me, he was less human than the Terminator. I felt like he had less hmm. affect. He had these moments where he... You know, you got those flashes of annoyance and things like that, but they really didn't allow him to emote or or to joke or you know they're trying to really play up the contract contrast between him and Belushi, but there just wasn't enough. It's like one's an asshole and the other's almost human. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think I this is why I say this is you've seen Bill Murray play the. I mean, just a couple episodes ago, mm-hmm. you have him playing the Vankman. Vankman, right? He's Vankman. Yeah. The Vankman, who's that kind of... He's kind of a sleaze. Kind but he's of. Also, yeah. But he's also jokes a lot, and he also has some charm to him. In the end, J- Jim Belushi doesn't have any charm in this movie. You don't understand why anyone could possibly like him. That's the thing that I actually really liked. Um, that I think worked. I, I saw that look, Patrick. <laughs> um, but the thing that kind of worked is that what drives me crazy in a movie, I call it kind of the Jar Jar effect. When there's a character who is annoying, but if no other characters react to that character if they're annoying, or even worse, act as if they're really charming, 
that it feels like a movie is gaslighting you mm. where you're like where everyone is like oh Redzik, he's so funny he's so great like if you see him lead a sing-along in a chicago bar or you see women responding to his charms or everyone's laughing at his jokes i would want to throw him through a fucking window but what really works in this movie i think is that it falls flat every single time when he says "Ooh, fun bags patrol he's immediately told to shut the fuck up by lawrence Lawrence Fishburne, yeah. who is his commanding officer, who's just like, hey, we're working. And even his partner, who likes him more than anyone else in the movie, is like, dude, knock it the fuck off. And then you see him like hit on a woman at the airport where he says, hey, honey, how's it going? And she says, blow yourself. <laughs> and that, to me, almost saves it. Because when everyone else acknowledges that he's as annoying as I feel he is, it takes so much pressure off. Where you can see Ridzik... Um, annoying Arnold. And there's a bit where um, he's leaving. He's going to finally take uh, Victor Rusta into custody and take him out of the country. And um, Ridzik's partner actually says to Arnold, it's like, hey, man, you know, uh, you know, I'm sorry about Ridzik. He's going to go. He's like, I just want to forget about Ridzik. He just he's like right <laughs> off the bat. He's like, fuck that guy. I'm putting him out of my brain right now. And I think that kind of makes it almost work is that the movie understands that you know he's a shit heel and that you want to punch him in the yeah, face. Yeah, but you get that within the first 10 minutes of introducing the character and then you have to suffer through it for the rest of the movie. No, I, I actually, I really like your point, but it still does, as an audience member, it doesn't give me any anchor into the film. I need, I actually really like movies where, that make you like terrible people. Mm. Uh, and where, where you enjoy the performance so much that you're kind of on their side, even if you realize that they're despicable. And James Belushi is kind of the opposite, is I felt like he is, he, he's a jerk, but you're supposed to, as the audience, you're supposed to come along on his side. He's supposed well, he's to He's supposed be, to represent us, yeah. the West. Um, right. And, and because, and, uh, from Arnold, I just wasn't getting enough, and from Belushi, I don't like what I'm getting, <laughs> I, I just, it, I, don't have a, I don't have a lens outward, I don't, I don't, have, a, uh, I don't have a place to sit in their car. It kind of feels like this is a movie where what Americans think of Russians is teaming up with what Russians think of Americans. Could be. <laughs> it's like we're, we're sort of taking both of these cultural stereotypes and say, hey, let's put them together. So we have a basically Ivan Drago teaming up with this complete shit heel creep. <laughs> and um, what is kind of interesting, though, is that they don't give them equal billing. The movie knows that you're coming here for Arnold. People aren't, you know, shelling out 10 bucks just to see Jim Belushi. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, to the point, Belushi actually tags out of the uh, climax at the end of the movie. Yeah, he does. Where he just basically goes, yeah, I'm going to hang over here, honk if you need me. <laughs> and you go confront him. Um, actually, I, I, have, I have the quote written down. He, he says, Arnold says, I'll take care of this. And Belushi says, I give up. This whole thing is very Russian. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Yeah, he has to suffer through lots of epithets about th being commie and being a Russian. I, there's one thing that I wrote down that I had to mention about Chicago as a character. So the first time we see Chicago is like a smash cut to Victor Rosta meeting with a guy from the Cleanheads at a phone booth. And the score yes. is so awesome. Yeah. It is... Cue the free jazz. Yeah, if you were to just have this, have a bass guitar and a saxophone and you give a, those guys, those two players, a room full of cocaine and just say, keep playing. Every time Chicago's in the shot, it just does not stop. You know what that reminded me of? I think it came out the same year. It's You know that part in, in Star Trek Four where they go... Bam! We're in San Francisco. Yes. It felt like the exact same score from that scene. Smash cut to city. It's just like, you know, bam! 
bam, you're on the street. There's cars honking, and it's like this is the music that says you're in the ni- in 1988 city, yeah. and you're a fish out of water. Um, okay, speaking of clean heads, I know that Lawrence Fishburne said that word first. I don't actually hear any of these gang members self-identify as clean head. But what are they? I think it's because they shave their heads. I think so, that's why they call them that. They're but like black neo-Nazis is basically what they it's are. It's kind of, it's like a revolutionary. They're it, half, half nation of Islam, half black panther. It's something. There's a lot of things going on, but yeah. the term clean head just, it hit me, hit my brain in just the way where I just tell myself, okay, Mike, uh, you're a white guy in your thirties. <laughs> so when you have that twinge of doubt that says, is that racist? Is it? <laughs> I tend to round up and go, yeah, it's probably racist. <laughs> but then Lawrence Fishburne says it, and I'm like, I don't know. I mean, he's calling them clean heads, but it really kind of sounds like something Archie Bunker would call a group yeah. of people. I, yeah. Go well, ahead, Patrick. I mean, so I don't know if... I, t- I took it as... I don't know how if we want to dive in yet to one of the major plot contrivances. Is, it turns out this is all about, uh, like, sort of a undercover race war uh yeah is the real the real driving factor behind all the drugs and everything but um i i took it also maybe that they are not they're not using because they're all drug dealers like that the clean heads are are fueling drug export and and distribution uh maybe it was supposed to be you know they're like straight edge or something it's (laughs) yeah i know i i got that same thing too because eventually they meet elijah abdul or abdul Abdul elijah abdul elijah who is the blind leader of the clean heads who's incarcerated and the coolest person in the movie he clearly yeah. is who who then who Ritzup calls him a jazzbo and i had to look up what a jazzbo was and i was like my brain immediately yeah. go you know what i'm not even gonna google it i'm just gonna assume that's racist <laughs> right. no i mean and their their plot is well we're we are going to export this dangerous drug to all white to all white countries in the world to destroy them right that's their this is their it's world domination essentially is their goal um and so in that respect i can see like maybe they don't get high on their own supply and that's sort of their that's sort of their mission it's it's business but there's also a political aspect to it too where he's just like you know fuck the world the world fucks me and actually i do agree i think he's one of my favorite characters in this movie and he has a great scene with arnold Mm -hmm. where um he says like you know here you don't have black people in your in your country you know but you're Government still is oppressing people nonetheless. So I guess that makes me the only real Marxist here. <laughs> and I kind of fucking love that. And I kind of, it's like both um, Redzik and Arnold, you know, as Don- Danko, both represent hip- hypocritical governments. Yeah. And he just kind of pull- calls them on their shit. I mean, he's still a criminal. It was that Arnold says to him at the beginning. What is your political crime? He says, I robbed a bank. <laughs> and he says it with such glee. Um, he really does only have about three minutes of screen time, and he really makes the most of it. Yeah, I really kind of love Abdul Elijah. Well, I mean, if, if it's a mystery, when they talk about the only time they ever explain the clean heads, other than sort of what you get seeing the clean heads in action, sort of helping Victor Rosta, is you, they're said in the same breath as Aryan Nation, clean heads, and Muslims. So... That will sort of that spectrum is sort of where they where they lie between in eighties sort of uh, American political milieu. Yeah, but they like, were. It's yeah. weird. I mean that 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 in and of itself has the, could could have very incredibly negative racist connotations. Which I think this is also a very reactionary movie as well. I can see that. I can definitely see that. Probably not more than something like Commando or something, but still, it's pretty reactionary. It's, movie. it's pretty arch conservative. There's the scene that st- stuck out to me was. Uh, Arnold and James Belushi are discussing... Kill the the politicians. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So they're talking about how to deal with the drug problem. 
And Arnold suggests that China maybe got it right, which is you'd kill everyone. You kill the drug suppliers, you kill the drug addicts, you just kill all of them. Uh, and Belushi says mournfully, oh, they'd never go for that here. And <laughs> the politicians Arnold, Arnold wouldn't says, go kill for the it. Right? <laughs> um, but, but that idea that, that there's something enviable in you know, a, a holocaust of, of, of drug addicts in order to, to solve the problem is very 80s, right. you know, like, right. um, you know, I could say it, it, it's Reagan era, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's a dangerous I don't think it's, one of the many things that date this movie that also tarnishes your ability to enjoy it at a certain point where you just like, well, you can appreciate the you can appreciate sort of the the virtue of what Danko is trying to do. But against the backdrop of what we know now about what the war on drugs actually is, you're sort of like, well, you can't ever you can't treat that plot lightly, that plot device lightly now in a movie. You just no. can't, especially when you have politicians openly saying, hey, let's kill drug dealers right. <laughs> so i mean it's suddenly you know fucking uh, pertinent and right it's weird looking at it too is i think that as far as we've encountered this before with 80s movies like there's no way to watch revenge of the nerds without cringing nowadays i mean there's a lot of we talked about the the antics of peter venkman in ghostbusters yeah. and said wow that's something we wouldn't do today but i think this movie as much as it skirts that line into like cringiness never quite goes as far as I think it's going to go. It's like I sort of brace myself for a moment that doesn't quite happen. It's like uh, in um, You Only Live Twice, the Bond movie, where he goes undercover as a Japanese man laid into it. <laughs> and it's so... It's not good. I'm just going to say that. It's not good, the idea of the conceit from the 60s where a white guy dresses like an Asian guy to go undercover. But the disguise he has is so much better than the contemporary disguises that I recognize. I mean, I'm looking at you, Breakfast at Tiffany's. <laughs> where I, It's not that it... It does something good. It's just it avoids doing something worse. And I kind of want to give it maybe quarter credit for that. <laughs> like there's a scene at the end uh, where after this shootout at the um, the flop house, they go back to interrogate this guy who uh, was part of, of Rasta's gang that had gotten shot by Ridzik. And he's coming out of his coma and Arnold wants to interrogate him in Russian. They go to the hospital and they see a nurse uh, basically poisoning him. They don't real realize what it is until they get up there. They get into a, tw into a chase scene, and it turns out that the nurse is one of the Russian henchmen, a male Russian henchman in disguise in a, a female nurse's uniform. I don't know this nurse's gender identity, <laughs> but I can sort of feel my throat tightening up a little bit, especially because <laughs> when they first pass the nurse... Um, Ritzik makes a pass at her. Right? Yeah, he's or just says, like, I wish I was a doctor. And it's checking her out, and I'm like, oh god, we're we're priming the pump for a gay panic joke. Yeah, and they never quite go there. Yeah, that he just goes, ah, oh, crap, it's a guy. No, yeah, no, but I mean, uh, he's they're relieved though. At least like they, he, he, you know, the, he's blown away. This this guy, the Russian dressed as a nurse, but they're relieved. Like, oh, it's a, it's fine, it's a guy. Like it was sort of thing where if it had been, if it had been like a woman who was a nurse. How did, Boy, how, we would be resentful, but how the fact did you, that it's a guy. How did you read that scene? Because I kind of read it in a slightly different way. Is he disappointed that um, this person they checked out is a guy, or is he disappointed that he is he happy that he didn't shoot a woman? What is he reacting to in that moment? Because it at least he didn't have a moment of oh god, cooties, what did I? You know, it's like <laughs> that's where it could have gone, and that's where I expected it to go because the combination of nineteen eighties um, action movie and Jim Belushi, all those <laughs> three things together, say like. 
Oh god, this is going to be like that uh the slur that that Jesse Ventura drops in Predator, that one yeah. uncomfortable note in an otherwise yeah. perfect movie. It's kind of like I thought we were headed towards that and we didn't get it. So it feels kind of like a near miss. Well, it didn't. So after the scene though, they were discussing it back at the at in the police station. I think they do call him like the tranny or something yeah. like that. Uh, I think it's uh, Lawrence Fishburne El Transvesto oh, and I was just yeah. like, you know, I was like, oh, it's... baby steps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like this is Good. Could have been worse. So we uh, we should talk about the the side roles here. So we've already talked about Larry Fish, who's here, and he's really young. Jesus Christ, he's incredibly he's... young, Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, he's and then Peter Boyle as the. I love this is is a twist on the stereotypical police captain. So police captains are usually overworked, stressed, and yelling. And he's already gone to the doctor and told him that he will have a have to have a bypass and a heart attack if he doesn't calm down. So his whole thing is that he has to remain calm, watch the fish, listen to pleasing music, and try not to get upset. And I love that. I love the idea where they take the stereotype and twist it just a little bit. I kind of love his initial reaction to Danko because he seems to like Danko. I think because yeah. Danko's he's the a, only cop who's not the, acting like a child. No, what does he say? He's the perfect He's the perfect weapon. A loose cannon. <laughs> they actually use the phrase loose cannon a loose to describe cannon. Danko. But I, I kind of love that he seems to get along with Danko and there's these little moments where um, he sets him up to work with uh, Ridzik and he says like, you know, hey, take him there. Get the signature on the top form, bring it back to me. And Ridzik starts to ask the question. He's like, no, <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you. It's a great Peter Boyle acting decision. He's just like, I'm not going to get upset. Just do it. <laughs> just do it. Those are the moments that make a world feel lived in, where it's just like, I'm not going to have the exact same screaming argument that I've had with you for years. <laughs> Serenity now. And it's, but I did love that, that thing that he asked uh, Arnold, where he's just like, listen, you know, I just assume cops are cops the world over. How do you Soviets deal with stress and tension? He's like, vodka. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, I was trying to think of other notable. Of course, Gina Gershon plays. Um, there's nothing more 80s than someone who's teaching the jazzercise class, which is pretty amazing, actually. Uh, but uh, what? So I think the strangest. So she gets caught up because she's Victor Rosa's Rosta's wife, American wife. She gets she's paid ten thousand dollars to marry him for a green card, I suppose, or something. Um, and she sort of gets caught up as bait, trying to bring Danko together because uh, Victor Rosta either wants to kill Danko or recruit him, corrupt him essentially, and then uh, unceremoniously. After sort of a where uh, Victor Rosta finds goes back to the flop house and uh, sort of sets up the clean heads and tries to kill Arnold himself. There's this weird cut. He jumps out. The Victor Rosta jumps out the window to escape into the into the river or into the lake. I don't know which. Probably a river. Um, there's a weird cut. Victor Rosta's back um, back in his apartment and he's loading his sort of hideaway pop out gun. He's wearing an outfit that makes him look like the Joker from 1989's The Joker. Yeah, it's purple. And then Gina Gershon's dead. And I was like, what happened? Off camera. Yeah. After, after Arnold let her go, yeah. he gave her permission to leave the movie and survive. And the movie's like, nope. No, nope. yeah, but there was clearly stuff that was missing from there that you didn't get why he was well, there. Well, so was there was... Through. The the scene uh, There was a scene where Arnold sort of promised to, to protect her and keep her, you know, like he's going to help her. And so then, of course, she has, to, right. she has to die because you don't want any threat of romantic uh, subplots here. I just just can say like the only real female in the movie gets less than nothing off camera too. Yeah, and it's Gina Gershon, and she's actually really quite good in this movie. And she also tells uh, Ridzik to go fuck himself too, which is also <laughs> kind of great. But it's like every woman that meets Ridzik gets an opportunity to 
Aset do everything but throw their drink in his face, which is pretty great. <laughs> oh, I just forgot. In that intermeaning scene after the sh- after the shootout, it's not Lawrence Fishburne who comes by. It's Kurt Fuller, bootleg Valverde's favorite bootleg. Oh, God. Kurt Fuller is there. You, you, did you catch that cameo? No. He's you know he's the guy who's the sleazy sleazy guy in uh, Wayne's World. And uh, where is he in this movie? He is the he's so after the shootout where the clean heads get taken out by Danko and and Rostov jumps out the window. The next scene is uh, the detectives coming down the stairs and talking to the uh, the hotel owner with the shifty eyes. That yeah. guy's in a lot of stuff, too. And it's Kurt Fuller, who's the detective. I did not recognize yeah. that. He's got about 12 seconds of screen time. There oh. is a great supporting cast, though, in, in this yeah. movie. Like, there, there were a ton of people that I had to IMDb or trying to figure out like where I knew them from. There was usually some notable role. Uh, a big one was the interrogation that they had with uh, with Brian, Brian James. James. Oh, a streak. so yes. good. He's always he always plays that guy that uh, he's and threatening and has also really annoying and usually gets the shit slapped out of him usually <laughs> so that's but no I love Brian James a lot oh he's pretty great in this he's, movie he's too. also huge so you'd expect he'd go, be able to go toe to toe with Arnold I think Arnold actually has a a couple moments of really good comic timing in this movie and the scene with Brian James is one of them but he enters uh, and immediately Ridzik goes into his, Hey, Shriek, I'm sorry, what's going on? And like that. And Arnold just goes, Where is Rosta? And he just grabs him and slams his head into the desk. And remember the whole thing, the, the kind of ongoing joke in the movie is about Miranda, which is, of course, oh, you yeah. know, Miranda writes that you just like, you know, you can't, you can't even touch this guy's ass unless, you know, and he's like, I do not want to touch his ass. I want to make him talk. Um, and even asked before they go into the prison, Miranda is there too. Um, but there's a there's a bit later which I think it may be the greatest moment of Arnold, Arnold brutalizing a person is that he's waiting in the car for Ridzik oh, yeah. to get food, and they're watching uh, Gina Gershon's um, staking out her yeah the, dance studio the dance studio, and this dude comes up. He sounds like one of the jerky boys. I don't know, but he's, he just shows up with a baseball bat and starts threatening Arnold and just like, hey, buddy, how about you either get out of my spot. This is my house. This is my spot. Either get out of my spot, give me 50, or I'll fucking mutilate my, your car with my Pete Rose here. And Arnold just goes like, do you know Miranda? Don't know the bitch. And he just goes, punch right in the fucking face. And it's one of the most satisfying movie punch sound effects and Arnold just kind of turns back and goes, Hooligani. Hooligani. <laughs> Hooligani. That one uh, wasn't subtitled either. I had to go back and rewind it. And I was oh, like, oh, okay. And when you see it written down, you're like, oh, I know exactly what he says. And then Ridzik comes back and this dude is still unconscious outside <laughs> of the car. And he's like, hey, what's the deal with that sack of shit laying on the sidewalk? He lives here. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, there, there's an God. attempt to draw contrast between the the russian way of doing things and the american way of doing things i think they could have pushed it farther i, I didn't think it was enough uh you know they, they have a few sort of cursory conversations about capitalism versus communism and um but yeah with, with that interrogation that the the russian way is to just beat the snot out of them until you get the information that you want but of course the american way is to plant drugs on him and try and like Ar- arnold tries to say that, you know it's, it's both it's both the same thing but again who's the Who's the good guy here, right? Like, there's n- neither strategy is makes him come off yeah, looking. Yeah, I think good. in well, the logic of an '80s action movie, though, the judicious application of violence is fairly acceptable, right? You're not going overboard if you're punching a guy. Yeah, it's sort of the vigilante thing yeah. that we kind of came up with, which is that underneath all of it is this layer of just awful politics that you kind of have to buy into and just kind of go with, which is the idea that things like 
I don't know, human rights are an impediment to stopping bad guys. And that's something that comes up all the time in these 80s movies. So there is kind of this like action, you know, kind of Archie Bunker type kind of idea that it's like, who are these hippies to stop us from doing the thing that this kind of brutality is the thing that stops us from turning into road warrior kind of dirty, hairy kind of, you know, mentality. And if it happens in a movie that's cartoonish enough, I can roll with it because I know I'm looking at a cartoon, but the more realistic it gets, the more uncomfortable it gets. The more you start sounding not like you're, you're taking place in a fantasy world, but you're actually having kind of like this political screed about, you know, how the ACLU is ruining the world. And it's just, <laughs> that's the sort of shit that just gets, that's why. It's Wait, like, oh, what is it? Well, I'm sorry. They actually mentioned ACLU. Doesn't Brian James streak? He yeah. Threatens, he says, I've, I've, my, my lawyer makes the ACLUs ACLU. look like the Nazis. <laughs> yeah, this is like, those, so those, obviously those times where you're putting in juxtaposition, ACLU and Nazis is sort of part of this, part of this sort of milieu, political milieu that is in the tapestry of this movie. Can we talk about the, the finale of this movie, which involves a high-speed Greyhound bus chase? Oh, yeah. That was that might have been the first time there was ever like a big crash em up bus chase in an action movie before. Oh, it's really nice, I gotta say, to see some practical car crashes. It's, like, nowadays, I, I think... I realize that the, one of the crashes in Terminator 3 was stolen directly from this. When, they're, when they have the crane truck and the truck gr- basically goes through the glass, the double-sided glass opening... There, this it happened in this one, so they must yeah. have they must have just ripped it whole cloth from that. They almost seem to go out of their way to hit every parked car, every parking meter, <laughs> yes. uh, everything. They they you can't make a turn without at least sideswiping a car. Yeah, gotta hit some statues, and that was a Chicago landmark. <laughs> yeah, they destroyed <laughs> that thing. Um, the bit that seemed the most. Um, this is a part of me that has that little ugly lizard part of my brain where I'm like, that looks really fun to knock over those parking meters. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking the whole, when I saw it the second time through, I was like, I was like, this is about how I behave playing Grand Theft Auto, where you're just like, it's so satisfying to run them all over. It's just like he's driving through that low tunnel that's clearly not high enough for a bus, and there's those hanging lights that he's just crash, crash, <laughs> crash, 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 going through all of them, and it's like bubble wrap. It's it's I, very satisfying. I, I love it, and what it, what it does for this movie is. is it shows that it that they obviously did have a good budget and that the movie doesn't fizzle out at the end they clearly save they clearly are saving like their action chops for the end as well like I, it could it could easily have been sort of petered out but i love that they took it up to the next level at the end and let let arnold drive a bus <laughs> arnold driving a bus in in a game of chicken with victor rosta yeah yeah which is pretty fucking great I, I thought that that was that was a lot of fun i really did enjoy that moment i heard that the director one of the inspirations for the bus was they thought that arnold just looked too funny driving a car <laughs> such a big guy um so these huge vehicles sort of plowing into each other and crashing and things it was blast I, ha- I had a lot of fun with it i was a little let down by the actual finale which is that both men they get out of their respective buses and they just walk at each other and start shooting and yeah. you know, one of them dies. Yeah, they, and it is it's a little it was a little weak for me. <laughs> I do it's like after, after the bus crash it was, you know. I do kind of love the succession of super guns that Arnold has. Like for most of the movie he has this like Soviet super gun that I'm not a gun guy, but it looks like the sort of weapon that you would get an artist to draw if someone has like, okay, I don't know how to draw a gun and I don't have photo reference. But this is the thing that I came up with. And it has that kind of weird kind of... 
It's like the Yugo of of the Dirty Harry gun. Sure. It's like this giant thing that makes a booming sound when it fires. <laughs> it's enough that when somebody gets shot with it, they have that uh, cord on their back that they yank and pull them out of the screen. But at the end, he's got a forty four Magnum, and I I went back and I rewound this, and I and I counted. He shoots Victor Rosta eight times with a forty four <laughs> Magnum, which I believe is enough to kill a fucking rhino. <laughs> Can we talk about how he gets the gun in the first place, which is, oh, yeah. so Arnold smuggles a gun, his Russian gun, in at some point. Uh, the He he loses it. The police find out that he has a gun. They sort of, I think they take it away from him. Don't they make yeah. a joke or, about airport security? That makes yeah, me feel real yeah. safe. <laughs> which, and again, is just sort of one of these, like, like in t- 2018 is so fucking tone deaf. <laughs> oh. So they have this sequence where uh, Arnold is asking Belushi for the gun, for for a gun. And he's not making an argument. He's just repeating himself over and over, like, give me a gun, give me a gun. He's like, no, absolutely not. I'm not going to get into trouble. This is, this is a huge mistake. There's, there's just absolutely no way. And Arnold says, your boss, we have men like him in Russia. I understand him. And he goes, okay, here's a 44 Magnum. <laughs> Doesn't he invent like a fictional... A fictional Russian gun to be the most powerful gun in the world. It's not a real. Is gun. Is it fictional? Yeah, it's not a real gun. I I didn't look it up. I assumed that was the gun he had from the beginning. No, it was. He's talking about another gun. Like, oh no, the most powerful. This is sort of like a Chekhov from Star Trek thing. No, the Russians did it better. Sort of just anecdotally, sort of thing. But no, this movie contrives to make up a fake gun that's more powerful than a Magnum. And, and then at the end, after he basically destroys every major organ in in <laughs> Rosta's torso, uh, he does hand the gun back to uh, Ridzik, and he says, Russian model is better. So he does have his <laughs> checkoff moment at the end yeah. there, too. Yeah. Where he, he does like... it's That gun he has is so weird looking. It's kind of like the Homer Simpson car, where <laughs> I kind of understand the thought behind it, but it just looks like pieces thrown together it looks like it should shoot lasers yeah that's what's so weird about it and again not a gun guy phased plasma wife rifle in the four gigawatt range i mean clearly it exists and it's a real gun but it just looks so strange yeah i don't know what to make of it makes strange sounds too uh it's a it's a minor point but a problem i had with this movie was the foley i felt like it was odd It, it, it I was trying to figure out what the tone of the movie was. I understood intellectually it was supposed to be a comedy. I didn't really feel that way. But um, <laughs> then just in the action sequences, even with the punches, it was really almost almost batman is like, you know, <laughs> little splat sounds. And I, went and I compared it to some 80s action movies at the time. You have Lethal Weapon, Die Hard, or, you know, like in this era, and they don't sound as, you know, 60s television. I think that's a with- Walter Hill thing, too. I think Walter Hill, his his violence that happens is usually more of a comic book, you know. Um, I mean, if you're just looking at, like, Streets of Fire and and uh, the Warriors, usually, like, it's, it's street toughs, like, beating the shit out of each other, and it usually feels less gritty and real and usually feels more comic booky. I don't know. Do you get that sense, Mike? Yeah, I get that sense. I mean, that's heightened reality. It's not yeah. It's not something gritty. You're not watching Death Wish. You're watching Death Wish 3. <laughs> and I, I think that's Death okay. Death Wish 3 stars starring Bruce. Brucey? Yeah, but I mean, no. that's what you want is that Arnold is clearly superhumanly strong. I mean, that's what you want with an Arnold movie. You don't want a, a super gritty 80s Arnold movie. You want something that makes him just stronger than what could be considered plausible. So, I mean, he seriously just throws people in this movie in several instances, including the guy at the beginning whose leg he rips off, the prosthetic leg. He just picks him up like, you know, Hulk Hogan and just tosses him. 
and then just grab twist. And it's like that that leg was bolted onto another piece that was attached to his thigh. He broke that. <laughs> That's just not there anymore. You know what? Interestingly enough, you think about you said earlier about him getting to Terminator entrances, essentially, where he just comes in and clears the whole um, clears the whole room. Um, I don't think you see that in Danko for the rest of the whole movie. And it, might, and it might be because he has to be more restrained because he knows that he's under more scrutiny. But he doesn't do the thing where he just basically picks up a guy and throws him like a you know an inner tube or something. Like he's he doesn't do that at all in America in the American part of the movie. Not 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 as such. But he does get to moments where he just just blows people away. He's he tries goes goes from like being a punch guy to a, a shoot guy. See, it's it, to me, it's 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 best the Arnold, the kind of this kind of over the top Arnold is better when it's like in Commando, where you know you're two thirds of the movie in and he picks up a telephone booth and throws it on people, you know, <laughs> or he slides down a you know like a balloon, like a zip line or something. Like that's what I that's really what I want for this movie to happen is it to get progressively more and more ridiculous. And I will say, yes, him driving a bus at the end is great, but he doesn't act like a giant, you know, like a giant monster, you know, Quasimodo monster at all. In, in the last, you know, four-fifths of this movie. Though I will say that this movie um, does use him, I think, remarkably well. I think that the, this this character was clearly written for Arnold. It wasn't adjusted for Arnold, that every part of it seems to play to his strengths or what I think Walter Hill thinks his strengths are. So I guess that, that brings us to the real question. Oh, yeah. Is Red Heat a good movie? I would say... I enjoyed it less than any other Arnold Schwarzenegger movie I've ever seen. Uh, I had less fun al- along the journey. Um, I was going to say, have you seen Rod Deal? I, I have not. <laughs> okay. So, like, I've, I maybe haven't gotten as deep into the catalog as you guys have. Sure. But I do find um, the buddy cop formula, for it to work, you have to have one fun guy and one strong guy, some sort of dynamic. Uh, I would say Rush Hour is maybe my favorite, my sure. favorite buddy cop because you know, Chris Tucker's a lot of fun and Jackie Chan kicks a lot of ass. In this, James Belushi's no fun, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think if you're just going to give him a gun, it needs to be a huge gun. He has to hold with you know three arms and, and just. <laughs> um, I, I didn't. I didn't have enough of a ride, you know. Plus, I was lost in all the Russian sequences. But well, it, it was. Um, you got the general idea, though. It, it, it's an interesting piece to go back to to, to sort of. Uh, this moment in time in the Cold War, where where you know Russian was so exotic and. Uh, to try and understand w- what what that meant, but it just didn't hold up to me at, at all. And uh, all the things that it tried, I could, I felt like I saw what it was trying to do intellectually almost every time. We're like, oh, that was a joke there. I see that that was a joke. The hi- the highlight for me was the two minutes inside the prison with the the blind, you know, jazz drug dealer. Uh, I had more fun with his performance and some of the, some of the little moments like. Uh, Sorry, the the mechanic that they met. The uh, uh, you're not talking about the brother-in-law. Are you? Yeah, the brother-in-law. Like little little moments like that, I, I I thought were sort of fun, and some of the character actors I had fun with. But um, the the main plot for, for me just wasn't enough of a ride. Yeah. Okay. So Casey. Yeah, I, I think the I think I on second watch I was super excited about the first fifteen minutes. I think I, I think I think after you get. Danko comes to America, gets Rosta, and then goes to the bus station. And of course, they get ambushed by the his you know Rosta's partners of the Cleanheads. I think everything basically up until that point is really like lots of energy is really good. And I think the movie ends up dragging, and James Belushi drags the movie down a lot. Um, and uh, and it's, it's Arnold's maybe that moment where there's where I think there's real candor where 
they're sitting at the they've got to fill out forms and they're sitting at a diner and of course James Belushi's being an asshole to the waitress where they're God, really he's a dick in that they're scene. really just two guys talking to each other because he wants to understand who Danko really is and then he's you know his Danko's sort of biography is that everyone around him is dead because li- life is difficult in the Soviet Union um like it's it, just like escape plan where it's Schwarzenegger and Stallone, you know, talking uh, talking to each other and naming the guards. I like it when movies that have to that are about two buddies that have to become buddies take a moment to do that. But unfortunately, I just don't feel like it's earned, and I don't. I also do not like the Jim Belushi's character. I think it would have been much better as a Bill Murray character who would have taken the movie, you know, way over the ridiculously over the top and just blown up the tropes. Um, so I, I don't know. Not, I'm, I'm not keen to watch it again in the next few years. So not a not a good movie. Um. I maybe I think this is a place where I think that maybe my affection for 1980s buddy cop R-rated action movies that have random smatterings of squibs and boobs and <laughs> and f bombs. Um, I I do have an affection for that. Um, I enjoyed watching this movie. I would say that I'd probably put it square in the middle of the Arnold filmography. Sure. I've seen too many things that are worse than this. Sure, of especially even just through this show. Yeah. But I think that it's a well-shot movie. I mean, it looks great. Yeah, that is actually one thing that uh, I, I'll agree with you briefly here, is that Walter Hill is an incredibly capable visual storyteller. I think it uses um, a really good supporting cast. Like you mentioned before, we're talking about Lawrence Fishburne, Gina Gershon, Peter Boyle. Um, I think Edo Ross is actually a really good bad guy. He's got that kind of Mads Mickelson face <laughs> that it just says you're never getting cast as a good guy. And I think that he's a really good villain yeah. for essentially just being a standard 80s drug lord. I think that he stands out pretty well despite that, even though the character he's playing is pretty much a dime, or dime a dozen in these kinds of movies. Yeah. Um, he was a lot of fun. I got, I got to give full, full marks to him. Uh, yeah, I have to. As, as far as villains go, he maybe isn't the most imposing, but he has a fun, sinister sort of vibe to him. And he and I just like his voice. Yeah. It's just like <laughs> everything kind of sounds like that. Uh, Belushi, man, he he really is a bit of a parking brake on the movie. Um, he didn't bother me as much, I think, because like I mentioned before, no one else seems to like him. I never get that sense of I'm supposed to go along and like him. I that's the part that he really fails at. He does a great job of playing this dirtbag sleaze, but you never get like you said if this had been Bill Murray, there would have been this part where you go along with it because there's something about him intangible that you like anyways. And I never really buy them being friends at the end. No. I would easily buy with him thinking about Ridzik exactly what he thought about Ridzik at the beginning of the movie, which is, I can't wait to get away from this guy. <laughs> and Even in the end, when somehow he knows that he has a, a $20, $20 East German watch. What is he, a watch expert? Yeah. Is he I, able to appraise on the spot watches that come from a country that you don't have access to? Yeah, I don't, I don't Fuck know. Fuck you, Ridzik. Fuck you, this movie. This is a... <laughs> I, you know, if we're going to compare it to, like, say, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, there are movies that I really like in that. And then there's movies that are, hey, that was fun while I was watching it. But the minute I'm done watching it, I don't see myself revisiting it again. I, I really, it's, this is kind of what I would refer to as a YouTube movie, mm-hmm. like Doctor Strange. Yeah. There are a couple scenes of Doctor Strange that I want to watch, but I don't want to watch it from beginning to end. I want to watch the thing with him punching the dude who's angry that Arnold's in his parking space. I might want to watch some things from the beginning, maybe the bus chase. 
but I don't see myself rewatching this nearly as much as say like Predator or Terminator 2 or Commando or any of the other yeah. like Total Recall. There's so many movies that are better than this on every single sort of level. And yeah, I'm not even sure if this is in the top 10 Arnold movies for No, me. no. Yeah. I'd say this is probably 11. 11. <laughs> it's 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 better than a lot of other ones that are fairly forgettable. I'd say this is definitely square in the middle of the Arnold filmography. Yeah, I have the most fun with his stuff that's sort of self-aware to a degree. And I think Twins came out at about the same time as this. Yep, the same year, I think. Uh, which really does a great job of recognizing what Arnold is and sort of turning on its head a little bit and playing with it. And he's sort of the innocence and he's sort of... Um, Last Action Hero is one that I have like great, great affection oh, yeah. for, just because it it, it under it so has a meta sort of appreciation for for what it is that it's mm-hmm. that it's creating, and it has fun with it. It allows Arnold to be a bit of a goofball, and that I think that's what it was missing for me out of everything was um, levity, of, yeah, of, of really of yeah. any sort. Um, it, it just when, the scene that Rush when he Arnold first comes to America. Uh, they're asking a series of questions, and not only is he expressionless, emotionless, one monolith, you know, just no, no, no. <laughs> he also doesn't make eye contact. He looks, he stands straight up at attention, stares straight ahead, um, and there's just there's just nothing to connect to there. I watched uh, about a 15-minute making of of this movie oh. on YouTube that I found, uh, and I had more fun, I think, watching that because it was a little bit of Arnold allowed to be Arnold. Mm-hmm. Um out of everything, I think that that's that's what I wanted from this. All right, fair enough. So I guess that brings us to our second question: Is Red Heat a good Arnold movie? No, to me, for for that reason, they stripped away everything other than his. You still have the Arnold physique. Uh, I lost all all of the things that I really appreciate about Arnold. There were a couple of sequences, like you say, those Terminator moments are still pretty good. He has presence, uh, but Buddy Cop movies are about the dynamic and the the uh, the chemistry between two people. And just none of that was allowed to uh, was either built up naturally or was allowed to even exist. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I either want it to be over the top or to have to have some sort of appreciation for you know the, there weren't enough explosions. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will say this actually is in the canon. I think this is I think this is a memorable character, and I think even though it's really uneven when they allow him to be Arnold and the places where they do allow him to be Arnold, I think there's a lot that he's doing with his face and his expressions when uh, when he's playing off of Belushi. I think there's, even though it's, you know, they're stone-faced for a lot of the time, I think I think this is, I will look at this as an Arnold movie uh, in the Pantheon, for sure. It's just, it just, it feels quips and, uh, you know, shootouts and the physicality, it's all there, I think. I, I tend to agree. I, I think that there's a lot of Arnold physicality in this movie. There's a Arnold naked fighting in the snow, <laughs> which is really hard for me not to say that that's a great Arnold moment. Him beating the shit out of a naked Sven Oli Thorson and uh, demanding where, where Rosta is. And he's, it's it's pretty fucking great. Him beating the shit out of the guy in the car. Um the, there's a lot of the good comic timing of, of Arnold doing things or reacting are quite good. I think the Walter Hill knew how to use Arnold. Um, I think that he's still playing a character that's more stoic than the one that we're used to him playing in sort of the Arnold Prime type movies. You know, things like 
the Running Man or Total Recall, that yeah. sort of character that he plays. Where <laughs> Arnold Prime Universe? Yeah, it is the Arnold Instead Prime of where the alternate universe where his movies are terrible. There's less of a wink at the camera, <laughs> but you do get little peaks of those sorts of moments where he gets to quip and he gets to beat the shit out of people in a flop house. He gets to shoot guys and um, that's the stuff. So I will say, I'd say it's a good Arnold movie, but it's a good Arnold movie where you'd probably want to watch specific scenes. It's yeah. worth watching all the way through once, yeah. but I don't think that this is going to be one that's going to be one you revisit a bunch of times. Yeah, fair but enough. to the degree Arnold's in it, I think he really works. Yeah, me too. All right, well, this has been awesome, productive. Um, Patrick, we're definitely going to have you back whenever we have a movie that doesn't have any subtitles at all and want you to just translate it uh-huh. on oh. the fly. Yep, I can do that. Thank you so much, Patrick Johnson, for being here. Yeah, thank you both. Thank you, Arnold. <laughs> thank, thank you, Arnold. James thank you. <laughs> Fuck you, James Belushi. Oh, so I just, I just gotta say, it felt good. It felt good to be back in the uh, the decade that Reagan built, <laughs> yes. and it also feels good to leave it. Yes, it's true, <laughs> indeed. Okay, well, we'll see you again next month, and uh, rock on. Podcast de la Vista Baby is a production of Radio vs. the Martians and is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in beautiful Valverde in Seattle, Washington. Our chief engineer is Casey Doran and our editor is Mike Gillis. Our original theme music was written and performed by James Wetzel with opening narration by Dan Lombardo. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, Tobias Panshin, Scott Kramer, Kyle Hepworth, and Dan Lombardo. Please take the time to rate and review our show on iTunes and Stitcher and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please consider becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. Even just a dollar a month gives you access to exclusive episodes. And finally, you can find us online at podcastalavistababy.com and radioversusthemartians.com. Hey, asshole, you can't park here. This is my parking place. I live right up there. So move your piece of shit car the hell out now or give me 50 bucks. I do not understand. Let me make it real simple, moron. You move your ass or you give me 50 or I take my Pete Rose here and fucking mutilate your car. Do you know Miranda? Never heard of the bitch. Holy Ghani.